Hello, I'm Andrew Gentile. And I'm Ariana. And you're listening to Behind the Flicks. This show is all about me sharing as many facts as I know about filmmaking and directors and behind-the-scenes info about movies and whatnot to Ariana. And you'll join us for the ride. Okay. So today we're doing a film that is somewhat obscure to cinema fans, mainstream cinema fans, shall we say. Uh, Well, Star Trek is undeniably a famous television and film series. I'm sure you, the listener or viewer, uh, are wondering why this specific film, why this specific Star Trek film? I would love to talk about why we're doing this movie. Um, So Star Trek Nemesis is one of the bigger movies in the Next Gen series because a huge... um, I don't want to give away too many spoilers... But a, a huge event happens at the end of the movie that is, like, very significant to the series. It's kind of like an end cap. I'm going to give it away. Okay. Okay, later good. On. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, to be revealed later. <laughs> but more or less, I had never seen any of the Star Trek Next Generation series, except for little pocket episodes here and there, and definitely never seen any of the films. And a very, very good friend of mine, who was my roommate, um, is a Star Trek super fan. And so these little pockets of episodes I've always watched with him. I've known him for about seven or eight years. Absolutely fantastic, wonderful, loving individual. And we unfortunately lost him um, for you know an unknown cause as of yet at uh, the end of May. And this was the last Star Trek film I watched with him. And I remember being so mad at him because of this big reveal that happens at the end of the movie that I was like, why would you show me this movie? And he always told me, it's my favorite Star Trek. You gotta see it. And I'm very glad that I watched it with him now. Uh, but at the time, I was very upset. <laughs> so rewatching it was um, was rather rather nostalgic for this podcast because it was the last Star Trek film I, w- I was able to watch with him. And um, now we're going to pick it all apart and do the behind the flicks on it because I'm sure he would have loved to sit here and listen to everything we had to say. He would have been a great guest on this podcast. Yes. Uh, I, I just want to say that uh, any friend of Ariana's is a friend of mine. Um, I, I I must be honest and say I did not know Robbie uh, very well. Um, I met him twice, I believe. Um, but what I do remember of him was he was a very fun guy and uh, it, it's needless to say it's a it's a terrible loss and uh i'll repeat this at the end but rest in peace robbie right so uh and thank you for this episode uh it was it was it was entertaining to watch these next generation movies by the way i watched all four of the star trek next generation movies (laughs) which is more Uh, than me (laughs) well i wanted to do your do right by your friend (laughs) I, i really wanted to get a feel for the series yeah. And so um, that's that's why I did it. I wanted to do right by you. Wanted to do right by your friend. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Andrew. Of course, I I love you, my friend. I love you too. So Ariana. Yes. Can we get a review of this episode's film? Okay. So I'm gonna do the best I can, given that I haven't seen all of the Star Trek Next Gen movies, let alone Star Trek films in general. <laughs> I've seen the new ones, but not a lot of the originals. Um, so basically, in a nutshell, from what I... <laughs> I'm going to try to do this, because there's a lot of detail in there, a lot of background in a, in a movie like this. But 
more or less, there it opens up to a wedding of, of the, one of the two main characters you've seen throughout the series. And they are off to get dropped off at one of their home planets to finish their wedding ceremony. When they get some readings on a new planet that they decide to go investigate. Only to discover it's been this huge setup to try to destroy Earth. And it's all about how the crew, and uh, in particular Captain Picard, um, fight against this nemesis who happens to be a form of his own self. A clone of the one and only Captain Picard. And it's action-packed and very thrilling and lots of amazing acting. And uh, you can sense the camaraderie in the um, the crew. And the way the story takes place is very, I think, well-paced. And it's just kind of a classic, crowd-pleasing movie. So, so what you're saying is that they met this nemesis while on the Star Trek. A Star Trek nemesis, if you will. Yes. <laughs> and Ariana. Mm-hmm. What grade would you give Star Trek Nemesis? I mean, I might be a little bit biased because I just loved rewatching it so much. Um, I would give this one a solid A. I don't think there was any plot holes or things that you wished would have gone one way or another. I mean, the writing was excellent. The, ra- the acting was excellent. And um, it really put a nice little bow tie on the series, I feel like, from what I know of the series. Nice. Mm-hmm. And the villain was fantastically created, I think. Yeah, it's Tom Hardy, my man. Whew. Yeah. Like young Tom Hardy. He is yes. scrawny in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's ever described Tom Hardy as uh, scrawny. Yeah, I know. Uh, right? I, 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 uh, but that, you're not wrong for this movie. Yeah. No, this is very young. I mean, I don't really know movies that he was in when he was younger, but this has got to be like one of the first 10 movies he appeared in, uh, I, would, I would say. He certainly wasn't like mainstream before uh, before this problem. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm the, histori- <laughs> I'm the historian, apparently, you know. Uh, I'm supposed to know everything about Tom Hardy. Okay, I'll, I'll let you be the judge of this. Sh- should... Should I give my thoughts on the film or... Sh- yeah, I really want to know what you do, think. Do, do you want me to give my honest thoughts? Yeah. Okay. Here's my thing about Star Trek. Okay. It's, I, I can this argument sometimes about Star Trek versus Star Wars. Yes. I prefer Star Wars. Yes. And let me explain why. Okay. Well, first of all, it, in the grand scheme of life there's not much of a difference you know both take place in space you know both have heroes and villain villains and what have you but here's the key difference for me star trek is a utopia star yeah. wars is a dystopia yeah and i personally for me that's why i think star wars works better as a film series is because um it's a much more interesting dramatic place to come from also that so that's point number one Okay. Also, <laughs> which I'm is real- a point that Robbie would bring up a lot. <laughs> okay. Wait, Ro- Robbie. Robbie agrees with that. No, he would say that that's a problem that a lot of people have with the Star Trek universe is that the, it's just not believable this utopian version of what could possibly happen. And he would always say, you know, like when you're that when you're far enough advanced mm. um, into the future and you meet so many species, and a lot of the 
things that are seem like problems now would obviously go away. Things that sure. are causing problems in our mentality towards each other now would, would disappear and there would be a chance for some type of major equality. And there's always going to be people that battle against it, obviously, that exists in the Star Trek universe. But to sit there and say that it's impossible uh, is not is or is not really what he uh, it, it, to him is unrealistic. He believed that it was very possible and, and and made sense for the future of humanity. Well, that's wonderful. No, 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 <laughs> no. I, I, I absolutely, I, I, I actually agree with Robbie about the reality of where our where humanity can go. I was just talking about more from like a storyteller's perspective. Mm, yeah. Of like dystopia is kind of a much more compelling, dramatic, and f- for my money, filmic uh, kind of place to start than a dysto- than a utopia. Excuse me. That's true. Yeah, I would say uh, that's true. And, and yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. And, and also, um, so that's point number one. Okay. Point number two. <laughs> number two. <laughs> point number two. I'm um, doing what Robbie would do is interrupt and give his thoughts. <laughs> uh, no, you're fine. You're, you're doing great. Um, yeah. You're fine. Um, but point number two is that, you know, m- here's my theory about uh, the difference between the creation of Star Wars versus the creation of Star Trek in terms of, in terms of the the filmmaking of it. Mm-hmm. Star Wars was created by in a filmic medium. It was created by a filmmaker, George Lucas. George yeah. Lucas, uh, in film school, was known for creating these experimental films, and so he was really kind of he he knew the ropes of the filmic language, mm-hmm. like he knew how to create action. He knew how to use sound. He knew how to. He knew that okay, this is going to flow from one scene to the next. He knew how to work with editors, and um, he, he. And anyway, meanwhile, Star Trek attracted these great writers with philosophical ideas and mathematical ways of thinking, because it was it was a t- it was a television series about philosophy. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm sure, and but Star Trek started in the '60s. I'm sure that carried over into the Next Generation series. Yeah. And so, my feeling about the Star Trek Next Generation movies is that um, they kind of were just continuations of the series, as opposed to being their own cinematic thing. Mm-hmm. And they just felt like extended episodes to me with bigger budgets. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is which, you know, if you're a fan of that, more power to you. I just personally as a as a film fan, I personally prefer uh, the Star Wars kind of way of, of doing it. And that's just my own personal preference. You know, the standard dialogue in Star Trek is um, it, it usually it, at least within the next generation films, it usually starts out with a villain or a situation and then it transitions into uh, the we need to transfer our main deflector shield to auxiliary power in order to subsidize the, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it keeps the plot moving. It, it mm-hmm. keeps the thing. It, 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 it explains what, what's happening next in a very scientific way yeah. or scientific ish way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you meet the villain and then, then it, the whole moral quandary of the story comes up, you know, it's that kind of structure. Yeah. So they have these great scientific ways of thinking that are thought out and these great way, the great philosophical ideas. 
like what happens when Picard confronts a version of himself as a villain, as is the case with this movie. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Star Wars, the standard uh, dialogue that deals with mathematics or what have you comes from C-3PO. Yeah. <laughs> who is like, uh, sir, the chances of surviving a asteroid... The asteroid field is 700-something-something-something to one. <laughs> and Han, Han Solo says, never tell me the odds. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of captain, it, captain Han Solo is versus the ca- kind of Captain Jean-Luc Picard is, which is not a fair comparison, but it's the comparison I'm making, and this is my show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, our, sorry, excuse me. Our and show. I'm pretty sure it's a comparison that the world makes, too, you know, because Star Wars and Star Trek has been compared to each other since they were both released around the same time and the whole nine. Yes. But point one was that dystopian was is more interesting than the utopia. From a dramatic standpoint. From a dramatic standpoint, filmmaker-wise. And point two was... Uh, point, exactly? po- point two was... Uh, oh, man, you got me flustered. Uh, point <laughs> two was that... Uh, it was that uh, st- the type of filmmakers, the type of writers that uh, Star Trek and Star Wars attracts. A- a- and they're kind of, one's kind of meant more for television. The mm. other's kind of meant more for films. Got it. A- at least that's my perspective on it. Yeah, you're right. The structure of it is to kind of elongate the series. It's not really to like have a, a specific dramatic arc in the same way that you know something like star wars has been developed well almost yeah um what i'm trying to say is that uh star wars in terms of the filmmaking language Mm -hmm. knows how to use the filmmaking language of because okay let me give you an example here's why i brought up that i watched the force for all the four of the star trek's next generation films yeah it's because in the first three this is the outlier. nemesis is the outlier but in the first three Star Trek Next Generation films, it, it, it's like it's edited so slow compared to, to, to the Star Wars films. Yeah. Like, like, uh, like when, okay, let's take, for example, Star Wars New Hope. Um, when the stormtroopers uh, blasted Han Solo uh, right when the, what, on Tatooine right before the Millennium Falcon takes off. In the uh, you know when, when after Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and uh, Obi Wan Kenobi meet, mm-hmm. um, he's running. They're all running, you know, and it's fast paced and it's cut and their lasers going everywhere. And pew, you know that kind of thing. Pew pew yeah. pew. Um, Star Star Trek, they're like, okay, we need to do this thing really fast. They just kind of walk, <laughs> and the camera just kind of follows them, and it's like. Maybe speed it up a little bit. And so <laughs> yeah. th- that's why I say that uh, Star Wars kind of knew how to create excitement and use the filmmaking language. Yeah. There, there are all these great ideas in Star Trek that are so, that that could be, uh, that are really well utilized. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what f- cinema can do, Star Wars just does it better in a cinematic form. For at this moment, Star Trek Next Generation has the edge in terms of the better TV series uh, uh, for now. For now. Da, da, da. Star Wars is trying. They're coming. They're coming They're tr- for it. They're coming for you. <laughs> coming for you, Star Trek. What, but, so what grade but, would you give it? So I would give it a B minus. Nice. Yeah. I'll take it. 
So, so, uh, but I'm glad, I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I watched it. It's, it taught me a lot about why people like Star Trek. Well, it's definitely ensemble. Like it's about all of them working yes. together, you know, and that's satisfying to watch, you know, it's a good quality. It, 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 it makes for a compelling ongoing series. Yeah. I'll take it. It means yeah. a lot coming from you. I mean, it's no my Python, the Holy Grail, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> let's not get into that. <laughs> All right, are you ready for the facts? I'm so ready for the facts. After the mixed critical reception and financial success of Star Trek: Insurrection, the contracts of the main actors who portray the Next Generation crew were up. They did not owe any more work to Paramount Pictures, the studio behind the Star Trek films. However, the cast were so taken with the script for the follow-up film, they agreed to make it. That follow-up script became Star Trek Nemesis, the 10th Star Trek motion picture. In writing the story for Nemesis, screenwriter John Logan wanted to create a villain that would have a personal connection to the main protagonist of the series, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Cast to play the villain, who was a clone of the captain, was future star Tom Hardy. Hardy would go on to play Bane in The Dark Knight Rises and Max in Mad Max Fury Road. Cast as Tom Hardy's right-hand man, or rather right-hand viceroy, was Ron Perlman. <gasps> That's Ron Perlman? Perlman is most well-known as a frequent collaborator of filmmaker Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. For del Toro, Perlman has acted in such films as Blade Two, Pacific Rim, and Hellboy as the titular character. He's scrawny yeah. in this one too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Oh, that's so awesome! I can't. I want to look at the behind the scenes for this and watch him get all makeup for that role. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, Ron Perlman's no stranger to makeup. No, <laughs> definitely not. Speaking of casting, Ariana. Yes. Eagle-eyed viewers can spot Will Wheaton return as Wesley Crusher in the opening wedding scene. Wheaton was a regular cast member in the first four seasons of the Next Generation television series. It's like a blink and you'll miss it kind of cameo. Yeah. If, if anybody in the, in the, uh, po- who's listening to the podcast is fans of uh, Star Trek Next Generation, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of had to throw that out there. Because he has his own deleted scene. And it's <laughs> kind of like he's, he's just there in the corner of the frame. And yeah. a... If, you, if you're just looking at the center of the frame and watching what's going on, it, it's at the opening wedding scene. Yeah. Uh, but if you're just watching Picard give his speech, you, you'll, you won't see him. But if you look mm-hmm. like that way, you'll see like, what's, what's, the, what's the main, one of the main characters from the, from the Star Trek series doing there? <laughs> and he says nothing. You know, Aww. that kind of thing. So, That's pretty cool. I love pretty when f- like, characters come back for like big scenes like that. For cameos. Yeah. During the production of Star Trek Nemesis, director Stuart Baird knew that he would be filming under a tight schedule. So he convinced the studio to let him film test shots two weeks before production began. However, Baird was filming a scene that actually ended up in the film. The dramatic action-packed car chase in which an android's body is recovered from the planet Kolaris 3. Remember that scene where uh, yeah. it's kind of like washed out? Like, like, I mean, like, it's, it's super bright. Yes. On that planet. Yeah. That was the, they filmed that scene in, in you know, two weeks, the two oh. weeks before. <laughs> That's awesome. 
get that out of the way early. Which, by the way, uh, that's kind of a technique uh, Orson Welles used when he was making Citizen Kane. Was kind of like he, was he said, uh, "Hey, studio, we're going to film these uh, scenes uh, a couple weeks early, these test shots a couple weeks early," uh, and they're like, oh, "All right." And then, in the, and just to get ahead of the studio, they shot actual scenes from the film, uh, just because they didn't want anybody to know like what they were doing. The android in question, named B4, is a prototype version of the main android data. Initially, B4 was named B9. However, the writers of the film realized that the name B9 was owned by the Lost in Space television series. So, the writers changed his name to B4. <laughs> which, is actually, which is actually a way better name. Yeah, I think so too. It's, yeah. it, it made everyone smile, I'm sure, when they first heard it. On the subject of data, when actor Marina Sirtis read the climactic scene of the script, spoiler alert, in which Data is killed, by her own account, she became hysterical. She called the actor who played Data, Brent Spiner, who encouraged her to remember how she was feeling when she needed to film the scene in which she mourns his character. In the end, Star Trek Nemesis was not a critical success. It was also released in competition against three other franchises. The James Bond film, Die Another Day, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and, oh yeah, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Oh my gosh, why would they do that to Star Trek? <laughs> Nemesis was not a financial success. <sighs> Don't shine it. <laughs> poor, poor Nemesis. It's so good. <laughs> It would not be until seven years later that another Star Trek film would release in 2009, which was directed by J.J. Abrams. Yeah, which is the new one, right? Yeah. So Nemesis was the last of the original Star Trek series? Of the next I, generation Of films, the next yeah. generation. But I mean, like, you know, because I think, you know, next gen, they're pretty much all successions of each other or mm -hmm. placed in between certain stories. So they're all part of the same grouping of Star Trek storyline. Yeah. And then the 2009 one was like, you know, a reboot. It was a redo. It, it, it follows another timeline. Yes. It like branches off. Also known uh, in the Marvel uh, universe as the multiverse. Oh, for, man. Yeah. For uh, nerds. Ariana. Yes. <laughs> Closing thoughts on Star <laughs> Trek Nemesis. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, if you're a Star Trek fan, you got to see it because it is a lot of fun to watch, you know, OG Tom Hardy in his youth, you know, play such a great character against, you know, an amazing actor. Um, oh, my gosh. What's his name, Andrew? Uh, Patrick Stewart? Patrick Stewart! Okay. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. If I dig deep enough, I would have found it in there somewhere. You got to see it to watch those two playing scenes together because there, it's just really lively and... Um, Patrick Stewart does a fantastic job, you know, looking at a mirror of himself in that movie. And it's just a lot of fun. If you're a Star Trek fan, you got to see it. You know, you can't be missing stuff like this. I, I, I think we should just wrap up this episode by saying uh, th thank you so much, Robbie, for uh, loving this movie. Thanks so much for uh, helping, helping my friend. Thanks for uh, giving my friend Ariana a lot of joy. Yeah, thanks. Uh, as I would always tell him, thanks, bro, my homie, <laughs> my bro Chacho, for introducing me to Star Trek. Uh, I I'd always planned to watch it myself, but then I 
we moved in together and I was forced to watch it all the time and <laughs> fell in love with it. Um, currently watching um, the series as, you know, as of right now. I'm going to get through it for you. And uh, thanks for being my friend. <laughs>